This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. Uh, Jesus plus nothing is uh, this persistent theme uh, that the Apostle Paul writes to uh, this church in Colossians as they work through, uh, of course, what it meant to be this new gospel-centered community. But I want us to see tonight, though, is that they wrestled with what it means to follow Jesus, even in a culture that questioned its validity. I'm sure you, you probably recognize that as to being somewhat similar to our own. But in Colossians 3, verse 1 through 11, we read, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put to them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This, of course, is God's word. Paul writes here with uh, this sense of literary progression, so it's important to, to have some degree uh, of what we happens in the chapters before this. In the very first chapter, he talks about the preeminence of Christ, acknowledging that Jesus in uh, is the long-awaited Savior of God's people. In Him comes the fulfillment of all righteousness. He is that righteous Redeemer who brings about uh, the salvation that makes us the very family of God. And then Paul describes this by writing this truly poetic narrative about Jesus that presents Him as the very image of God Himself. This is important because it means that to know and to love Jesus is to know and love God the Father in heaven. The second chapter, though, is about pressure. It's the pressures of the world around them. It's the pressures that you and I face. It's the worldliness often within us. It's the reality of trying to live as Christians in a world that clearly opposes not only what we believe, but here in chapter 3, I think we'll see even more clearly that what is truly at stake for us is the questioning of our very identity in Christ Jesus. 
And I'm sure many of you can relate to having an identity crisis of faith. It's the wanting to enjoy life while the commitment to faith in Jesus seems to be pulling you seemingly in a different direction. For most of us, this is exactly the root cause of what I call fraudulent activity in our lives. It's the easy recognition of the pressures that this world presents to us, but if you're anything like me, you know that the real war that rages is in your own heart. It's easy for us to fight enemies that stand in front of us. What about the enemy within us? The enemy of anger and resentment and pride, selfish ambition. The enemy that turns even good things to idols that turn us away from our God. I love questions though. Uh, great questions in many regards happen simply uh, from the ability uh, to, to have good conversation. Uh, you know, uh, after losing my brother in 2020 to COVID, I, I got in this position where I felt stuck in life. I could not move past this question of why him and why now? Why a man who wanted to be a faithful pastor, a husband and a father? It was not until then, though, that I saw a Christian counselor for the very first time in my life, and he didn't have any answers for me. Uh, the reality is, most of those questions that I had, God himself only could answer. But what he did have was the ability to ask the questions, questions that changed the way that I thought. And tonight we'll see Paul ask us something helpful that will reveal much of what's truly going on in our hearts. I learned something in studying this text, and that the question that Paul opens here with in this third chapter is something about how good questions reveal much of our competence and character. And as Christians and non-Christians alike, this is essential. I know you probably hear me talk about competence and character, especially as Christians, and think this definitely needs some clarity. So let me just suggest that as Christians, our competence rests in understanding the very nature of the gospel itself. And while we often get stuck in distinctions about stuff like justification and sanctification and glorification, we forget the simplicity of the gospel message at the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. And it was there by faith that I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I can remember even as a little boy, we would stay with my grandmother. She'd sit on her bedside at night and read the Bible aloud. She was born in 1917, so she didn't have much education. In fact, she grew up in a period where uh, it was more valuable for her to care for her younger siblings when she got older. So often, even as kids, we'd have to help her with what she read. But what she did understand, that scripture was the story of our God throughout all of redemptive history bringing about the saving grace to the people he would call his own. <coughs> she knew that from the end, the beginning of Genesis to the surely I am coming soon in Revelations, 
is the essential truth that we have been saved by grace through faith. Character, I think, is far less complicated, though. I mean, for those who acknowledge that there is a God who not only created us, but in his mercy thought that we had become the very enemies of him, he also then graciously reconciled us to himself. It's like a, a judge who hears our case is also then the one who prosecutes you. He prosecutes you with his righteous wrath and, and then he only turns around to defend you. And though without question you are undoubtedly guilty, he serves the sentence that you deserve. And now you are free to walk in his righteousness. How could a God like that, who is truly righteous and just, not make demands on the lives of people? How then could we not seek to embody him to a sin-sick world? A world that needs to know of the saving grace of Jesus. We do this by being people of great character. Know, fam, that to live with this distinct competence and character is being shaped by the gospel has to mean that there must be a new me. This new me is a member of a new humanity that isn't just about being black or white. It isn't about our politics or our money. It's not about where we're from, but the new me isn't even about you. It's about Jesus. This is why Paul says stuff like, I have been crucified with Christ. That it's no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son. Who loved me and gave himself. This is the new me reality. So look then at verse 1, it says, If then... You have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know I love scripture's literary beauty, uh, and this is a prime example of this, because uh, you know that the word if can be used as both a conjunction or as a noun, but notice here that Paul breaks uh, the grammatical rules and uses this as both simultaneously. Uh, don't believe me, watch this. Uh, see that the here is used to show not only a connection between all that we've seen throughout chapters 1 and 2, but the if here is also then intended to reveal the definitive truth of what we call being the new me. The new me is a people who have grasped what it means to live with the gospel as central to all of life and yet still here it is intended to call some self-reflection that maybe that is simply not you. Maybe you're a part of the crowd who comes to RUF to explore the truth claims of Christ. To find out if Jesus is the guy who he says he is. If that's you, then know that we want RUF to be a place to come and explore that reality. But if you notice, though, that Paul, in this particular instance, is talking to a specific people. Uh, 
he's talking to uh, the new me because one of the distinctives of being this new me is that they too have been raised with Christ. They know what it means to once be far from God and dead and sin, but have been by the blood of cross brought near. Look then at what he tells the new me people because he, he gives them then some specific instructions. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, to do what? To seek the things that are above. And I know this is not the way that you and I are taught to think. I know the way that our world works is to find a way to do me, to, to grind for what I want in life, to have success my way, to have an Instagram kind of life that is full of being happy and doing fun things with beautiful people just to make others envious. So how then does this crazy Paul do tell us to seek the things above, to find happiness and completeness in Christ alone and not in the things that satisfy our selfish desires. How can we seek the things above knowing that that means it is going to cost us? That is going to cost us some friendships. That is going to cost us some vocational choices. It's going to cost us chasing wealth and affluence and finding contentment in him alone. Or maybe it's a reality. Like mine, that means that seeking what is above means would be a little local church pastor in the poorest, neediest part of our city. Loving and serving people only to die and be forgotten. So that his glorious gospel might be preached. Not to write books that top bestseller lists or preach on stages for thousands. You know what's really crazy though? that it's above where Christ is and yet we need to then be encouraged to look for him there. Our vision has become so laser focused on what it is that we perceive life should be that we fail to look up to the life that he has called us to live into. Verse 2 says to set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And I love this verse because while the first verse tells us to seek what's above, which is to look there for something, Paul here is telling us to set our minds on the things that are above. See, not only do we need to change where it is that we are looking, but we need change even in the way that we think. In Romans 12, Paul writes that I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, to which your, is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Look then at verse 3 and 4, it says, 
for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I know verse 3 appears to be a bit of an oxymoron. I mean, how can you be dead and have life at the same time? got to know, fam, that for the Christians, it as at death itself that life truly begins. Death to sin is to be alive in the Spirit. To be hidden in Him, then, is a reflection of security. A security of our salvation that rests in the finished work of Christ alone. Verse 4, though, is an absolute life changer. I don't know about you, but as I studied this verse, I read this and I had to do some self-evaluation and honestly to check my own heart because if this verse is true, as believers, this is the kind of truth then that has to change both our heads and our hearts. Paul says that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I, I just want to ask you a question and I'm going to leave this point alone. But let me just ask you, is Christ your life? This is not a question about whether you call yourself saved or whether you're trying to simply be a good person. But is he central to all that you do with him? Is he at the core of all of your relationships and career choices and every other part of your life? Is Christ your life? Notice, though, that it's not until Christ is our life, and He alone appears, that you appear with Him. You want to know the, the secret to eternal rest? Live with Christ as your In verses 5 through 7, it says to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. And when you were living in them, so let me just challenge you against thinking that these verses are simply to call people out on particular sins, but rather to reflect that within each of us, the Spirit of God is at work exposing sin. It is our sin that makes us worthy of God's wrath. This is Paul making what we call an eschatological argument. This, this reflection of an end times reality. That Christ will return and he will judge righteously. In verses 8 and 9 we read it says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the reality of being this new me. It's the putting away of the false narratives of this world to walk in the competence and character of following Jesus. There is the one critically important grammatical detail that I don't want us to miss 
Um, because here Paul writes in the past perfect tense, which means that the event in which he is writing about is a reference to action that has already taken place. So know then that the putting away of these things is something that in Christ you have already conquered. Finally then look with me at verse 11. It says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But then he says, but Christ is all and in all. If you were to come to a large group that was to say I'm saved, uh, you would find it actually be pretty unique. Um, because we have this cool mix of not only students from campus, but there's some families who also call our large group home as well. And we know that Christians have been widely recognized, of course, for what people perceive that we are against. So my students decided we wanted RUF and Western Salem State to, to be known for what it is that we're for. So they adopted these three simple statements that I've come to love. Uh, they're simply saying that RUF exists at Winston-Salem State for Jesus, for Winston-Salem State University, and for our cities. Because we truly wanted to live out these values, it shaped the way that we do ministry. So one of the ways that we do this is by doing small groups and Bible studies on campus but our large group meets in a small black Baptist church in the hills. This gives us then this incredible mixture of not only uh, ethnic diversity, but some deep socioeconomic diversity as well. You know, one of my ministry heroes, of course, is Dr. King. And in 1960, he was on the show Meet the Press, and he was being asked about the divisiveness of Christians, even in his day, and he said, of course, that Sunday mornings had become by far the most segregated time of our week. And regrettably, of course, that is still true in 2022. I want you to notice, though, that here in verse 11, Paul describes a community that in Jesus it does not share the divisions of culture. But rather, it binds itself with a distinct unity, and why then does this happen? Paul says it is because Christ is all and in all. Let me just then love you as your brother. Tell you as a people called to live with Christ as all and in all, we cannot grow comfortable with our division. Divisions that are not reflected by this university, that are not reflected by the world. Let's pray.